today I'm going to be talking about walking and continuing to walk in the power of God, wherein we don't go back to the law. I'm going to just share with you on what empowers us not to fall back under the system wherein we find sin in the flesh manifest and destroy our lives. I would like to read from Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now when we look at Hebrews, we see that the writer of the book of Hebrews, let's say it was Paul, he wrote unto the uh, Hebrew people to encourage them not to fall away from the message of God's grace. Many of the people that believed in grace, after a while, started to fall back unto the law. And they were tempted to go back to Judaism, back to the law system. And they were tempted to go back into the system of labor and works. That's what they were tempted to do. And Paul was coming and he was encouraging them. And he encouraged them in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, especially 11. He came with a lot of examples of people who believed and after they believed for a period of time didn't see anything of what they believed in and what they were persuaded of and then after a while God came and as faithful as God is he came and manifested that which he has promised. What was believed by the early church was the message of the resurrection wherein they expected and their expectation was that Jesus would return in their lifetime in a physical in physical form and that those that believe upon the Lord would not even die many of them believed that and as they believed on that and saw some folk dying Paul had to write things like 1 Corinthians 15 explaining the resurrection of the dead, explaining how God has conquered sin and death. And now we find, I believe, the same kind of a thing in Hebrews. The Hebrew people were persecuted for what they believed and when they believed in Jesus, they were persecuted by their own countrymen. They were also persecuted by the Gentiles of that time and they were going through difficult times. And they were believing on this Jesus, this Jesus that was raised from the dead. Remember, many of them did not see Jesus uh, physically raised from the dead. They heard it. They heard it from the mouths of the 500 people that saw Jesus at once. <coughs> Excuse me. And they also heard it out of the mouth of Mary uh, and they heard it from the mouths of the disciples. So there was a massive stir about the resurrection. They knew that the Roman soldiers were obviously killed because the, uh, the body wasn't in the grave anymore and there was a Roman seal on it. There was a massive thing that took place there. And then they believed without seeing the physical Jesus, many of them. And as they saw some of these people who believed in the Lord, 
and saw the physical resurrection and wherein they started to believe in this God that has brought his son, that has conquered death and that would reign over Jew and Gentile. And the way he would reign over people is by reigning over their sin, reigning over their death, bringing life and immortality, that which he was raised up into, into manifestation. And as they were not seeing this, many of them lost heart. They, they lost hope. They started to feel, well, you know, I, um, <coughs> I don't know if it's going to happen. And then they were thinking, many were thinking, well, let me go back to Judaism. Under Christianity, I'm just persecuted. And that's why Paul comes and he encourages them. And we're going to look at how we encourage them. He encouraged them, firstly, by telling them to look at the cloud of witnesses. And the cloud of witnesses, which he talks about, was those who lived prior to them, who believed and in their time God made them promises they believed that and like Abraham, he believed and did not see the promise come forth. He believed and did not see, but he didn't waver, taking into consideration the deadness of his flesh or the not bearing fruit, if you want to call it like that, but continued to believe that God can manifest what he has promised. And then in the end, we find that God did manifest that. And then he actually goes on <coughs> and he says that the true promise God made all these people did not even manifest. In other words, he was making promises, but these promises was only a type and a shadow of the true promise, which was the eternal life. And all these died without receiving the promise. And they had faith even until the end. Now, remember, I don't want you to be confused. He made Abram a promise. Abram, uh, you'll be a father of many nations. Okay, or first he says, Abram, you will have a son. Sarah will have a son. And that is what Abram believed. But the father of many nations, he did not see that. He died without seeing that. But he continued to believe. And he comes and he encourages the people to look at these old, what we would call today, faith heroes and say, let not that which we seem, uh, which seems not to work, discourage you. But there's something else we need to look at. And that's what we're going to look at today. So we look at these old faith heroes. We see that they believed. And although they didn't see that, that thing that, that they believed in. And did have a first fruit. So they saw a belief. They saw their first belief like Abraham. They saw the, he saw the son. He saw Isaac come forth. Yet he didn't see himself as the father of many nations. And he didn't even know what that actually meant uh, we now today know what that means in jesus christ and abraham will still see what that really means in the resurrection so uh it, this makes me think of <coughs> i told the story maybe i've told this before but i remember when i lived in potter's room uh and the story i'm about to tell is to explain to you how we sometimes feel god you need to hurry up you, you need to change the situation now. We need to see things change. Uh, we need to see more fruit. We need to see more of these things. Where is what you have promised? Now, <coughs> I did some sandblasting. I remember that back then I was preaching and I did a job on the sideline. And that job was to do sandblasting. And I got some sand for free from a farmer that was about 10 kilometers out of town. And I went with a small car 
with a trailer and I loaded this, overloaded the trailer completely with wet sand. And as I was coming down the, um, I, I got into the road and back then, you know, you're a young man. Man, uh, obviously I went as fast as what the car can go. <coughs> and which wasn't very fast because it was a small car, 1200cc engine. I mean, my motorbike has got a 1200cc engine. It was just a small little thing. And, and here we go down the uh, uh, big road. And a truck came from the front and the wind of that truck started to shake, just put that trailer off balance. Man, and it was me and uh, the guy that worked for me, Isaac was his name. And, uh, oh, Isaac, he used to smoke a lot of marijuana. So, I mean, while working for me, he was heavy on the marijuana. So we were, I was driving down the road and this trailer started to get out of balance and it was swinging like crazy. I don't know if you've ever seen what happens when a trailer starts to swing like that. Very quickly you lose control and the car lands up in the ditch and you can roll the car, get really um, hurt badly. And here I was and I was stressed out. I was doing my best to keep that car in the road. And I remember my dad told me, don't hit the brake, hit the gas so that the car can pull that trailer that it can straighten out. And I was looking at it, man, but I was already having it right to the floor. And that car only had four gears, it was a stick shift. And uh, I was thinking, man, when this, if this hill comes, I need to put it into third gear and just give it everything I've got in the hope that it will uh, just pull straight. In the meantime, I was praying. I was praying in tongues. I was praying in my normal understanding. I was stressed out praying. And I told Isaac, I said, Isaac, pray. Now, Isaac, he's a causa. And he, he started to pray in causa. Now, I don't understand causa. And he was praying away. And that car is shaking. And he grabbed that seat. And we didn't even have those reversible, you know, that pulls back safety belts. It was just that loose thing you put on. And here we're going. The cars that were coming from the front, they were getting off the road going onto the side of the road, stopping, because they knew this is an accident that's looking for a place to happen. They don't want to be part of this accident. <coughs> and it was a double lane to the one side, a double lane to the other side, and I was in the middle of this road going like, go, going like crazy, accident trying to find a place to happen. And uh, I was praying, and Isaac prayed. And Isaac stopped his prayer, and he was just stressed out, holding onto that seat, and then as we started to go up the hill, he looked back and he saw that trailer that was almost 90 degrees with a car swinging with the sand from one side to the other side and the car is shaking and he started to pray again. And then as we go up the hill, the, the car pulled the trailer straight and we parked and thank God we didn't make an accident. And then I said to Isaac, Isaac, and I was stressed out. I said, Isaac, why do you pray? And then you stop for a while and then you pray again. Can't you see this is a serious situation? You shouldn't stop to pray. You should push through with a prayer. And then he said, he said to me in, <coughs> in his accent, now I'm going to try and make it. He said, no, sir. I prayed and then I saw, I prayed, I asked God to help us. And then after a while, I looked back. And when I saw what's happening, I said to God, God, you better hurry up. And that was the second prayer. Now, many times we are at that place where we are saying, God, you know, we've prayed and you better hurry up because this situation 
it's just getting too much for us. I don't know how to handle this anymore. What shall I do? And this is the exact situation of the Hebrew people, which Paul comes and addresses. Many times we are at a place, sometimes, sometimes, many times for other folk, we are at a place where we are saying, God, this is taking too long. I don't know what's going on. You have promised. I've believed and I don't know what to do. Now let's see what it says, what it says here. We've read it and I can bet you just in the first reading of those two verses, we don't really see what Paul is saying. But now I'm going to just show that forth as the Lord has revealed it unto me. He says here, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, this verse, and I can understand why people would say that, in the English simply seems to say, listen, get rid of your sin, and get rid of the things that bogs you down and run your race with patience. And it almost looks as if he's saying here that we need to get rid of our sin. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin does, that does so easily beset us. Now, in the Afrikaans direct translation, it doesn't read like that. It says it much better. It says, now, since we have put away our sin or since our sin has been put away and the burden that we were carrying has been put away let us run the race um, in the English year with patience let us run the race with patience that is set before us in other words what he's saying is since sin has been dealt with and since the law system has been dealt with or that which bogs us down since that has been dealt with let us just be patient. God has already done what man could not do. God has come and He's broken the power of sin in the resurrection. Now, I want to say something about sin which we need to understand. There are many different meanings of the word sin, but I want to talk about sin in the flesh. What is sin in the flesh and why did Jesus Christ have to die, had to die for sin, and why did he have to be raised up in an immortal body? Simply to conquer sin in the flesh. Sin in the flesh was, sin means not to partake in or not to be a sharer of. That's what the word sin means. So it says sin in the flesh means the part in man's flesh which was not a sharer of God's eternal life. So we know that man was made from the dust of the earth and that in his own ability he doesn't have eternal life and that he needed to have eternal life in a mortal body in order to have the quality of God's life. So what God did was he ended that by taking the likeness of sinful flesh unto death and then he was raised up into an immortal body. And as he was raised up into an immortal body, he has ended sin for us. So what he's saying here, since we are now at a place where Jesus ended our sin, since we are at a place where our burden has been lifted from us, let us just be patient. That is what God has already done. See what God has done, acknowledge what he has done, and, and don't get back. And now what he says here, 
since God, or let me put it this way, since God has taken away the sin that so easily beset us, since God has ended the burden that was on us, let us be patient. What He has started, He will finish. That's what the next verse says. What has God started? He has ended sin. He's brought innocence for all. Amen. The ability not to harm. He has been the one that has come to stop our sin. We have, we've read repentance of sins as we must stop our sin. And we have read that we must now take the yoke upon us, meaning take this difficult cross of Jesus Christ and carry this painful cross with Him. Now that is not what it means. When we talk about the cross of Jesus, it means we need to take the death of Jesus on us. And what is the death of Jesus? It was the end of the lawman. That's what it means. That's why he said in Matthew 11 verse 28, and I just use my own words, I paraphrase, he says, come to, come to me all you that are overburdened with the practicalities of religion and I will give you rest. Here we see, he says here, <coughs> um, let's lay aside every weight. So it is not saying that we must get rid of the weight, we must get rid of the sin. I like the old Afrikaans, it says, since we are now at the place, or the direct Afrikaans translation, since we are now at the place where the weight has been laid aside. How? By Christ ending the law. Since we are now at the place where we have been set free from the power and the bondage of sin in the flesh, through the res death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let us know what He has started, He shall also finish. Let's read verse 2 here. He says here, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of what we are persuaded of. So what is He saying? He is saying, we're going to get to the punchline now, he is saying, listen guys, you might have heard about this resurrection. You might have heard about the effortless fruit that God has promised you. You might have heard about all these things and now you're at a place where you are saying, I don't know. Maybe I must go back to works to make this thing work. Maybe I'm wrong in believing in the grace message. I don't know. I don't know what is going on. And he says, look at Jesus. First he says, look at the people who believed, the Old Testament people. They believed, and then for a time they didn't see anything, but God did give them the promise. In other words, by faith they subdued kingdoms, by faith they saw the dead being raised, by faith they saw all those things, but the idea is they believed, and then didn't see, and then eventually did see, and then he actually said, and what the true promise is, which is this resurrection immortality, they died without seeing it, but we have a God that can raise the dead, and that's how they will eventually have what was promised. And then he goes on and he says, look at, look at what God has done. He has started by ending the law system. He has started by taking the burden of works righteousness away. He has started by becoming human flesh and dying and then being raised up and created the platform from where this new world and the truth about who He is and what is dreamt for us can be born. I want to use my own words. 
Look at the investment that Jesus Christ has made. You know, God has loved man so much that God eternally changed. Now, we might say, well, God doesn't change. I don't believe He changed in character. I don't believe He will change in person. But God, in a, to a certain aspect, aspect, has changed in form. Because we know that God was the unseen God that cannot be seen. And then He came and took on a form which God never had. God never had a physical body. As, well, let me put it this way, God never had a physical human body. He never had that. And then, about 2,000 years ago, God was incarnated into human flesh. He was called Emmanuel, God with us. And then He died. After the, I don't want to say God died. Then Jesus, as a human, died. And then God didn't say, well, I'm going to abandon the human form and I'm just going to be a spirit now in heaven. God said, no, I'm making an eternal investment in humanity. I love them so much that I want to be like them. I want to be in their form and fashion. I want to be who they are and I want them to be who I am. So I have to have this, this place where I take humanity and I bring them into my godly nature wherein they are eternal, loving, holy, righteous beings that shares in my quality of life, the quality of life of God the Father, yet in human form. And that is what Jesus then did in His resurrection. Imagine God, <coughs> or let me put it this way, imagine Jesus the Son before the incarnation. Here we find one of the persons of the Godhead, Jesus Christ the Son, or we can just say the Son of God, incarnated into human form. Imagine that anticipation of, well, I'm now going to be incarnated into this being and I will never ever be in the exact same form as what I am now. I am now going to have a, some form of physicality about me forever and I'm going to become like these humans. And in becoming like that, I'm going to lift them up to who and what I am, yet there will be a difference because Jesus would say, I've now got a human body. I am now a God-man. Look at the love of God towards humanity. Look at the care of God, that He's not ashamed of people, that He made an eternal investment. And this is what I believe verse 1 is saying. Look at what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ has come, or God has come, and in Christ, He's made an eternal investment in taking away the burden, which was the law. Remember Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are overburdened with the practicalities of religion. He says in Afrikaans, Come to me, all of you that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Here we clearly see that he is saying that Jesus, he says now, because he's writing to Christians here, he's saying now that the yoke was put on Jesus, now that sin in the flesh and your sin has been taken away by the power of Jesus, 
let us behold how the people of old believed and received in the end, and let us behold what God has started. Keep in mind that this is only the start. It is what God has started to do. If the start is Jesus conquers sin and death, if the start is that He ends the burden, if the start is that He ends separation between the people groups, Jew and Gentile, and bring forth one new man, what would the end not look like? And He is the author and the finisher. Now listen to this. This is what I'm really wanting to say. He says, looking at Jesus, the one who started this, who in his mind doesn't start it with the idea that his word would return void, but that his message of eternal life and his message of having people blessed by his doing, that it shall succeed. And he goes on, he says, uh, for the joy that was set before him. Now it says here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, making nothing of the shame. He despised the shame. He actually said, I make nothing of this cross. I make nothing of the pain I'm going through. I make nothing of the ridicule and the disgrace of hanging naked on a cross, being seen as guilty and all. I make nothing of this compared to what I know this can bring forth. So what is he saying? He's saying, look at the people of old. They believed and they did receive. But now, greater than that, I want you to know, now that you are at the place where this whole burden thing and sin thing is now something of the past, I want you to continue in this because Jesus, who started this, will finish this. Jesus didn't start this to finish this. He started this, and he, the start of this meant the death on the cross, which to him was a small thing compared to what he knows will be in the end. And what was this joy that was set before Jesus? This joy that was set before Jesus was us seated with God in heavenly places. What, it, what that means is it was us sharing in the fullness of the quality of God's life, having eternal life. So I want to say to you, what he is saying is, keep before your eyes the people of old. Keep before your eyes the fact that God started something and that He, in the old we could see that He did fulfill His promises and that what He has started shall be fulfilled. And also keep in mind that it was for, that the joy, there was a joy before God that caused the Father to give His Son as well as for Jesus to actually despise the shame of the cross. He's just like looking at that, I despise this. It means nothing to me. It's nothing because the glory that is ahead, which is us sharing in the life of God, the joy before Jesus was you and me having eternal life. That was the joy that was before Jesus. And that is so great that he could endure the cross. Now, what Paul is saying here, the writer of the book of Hebrews, is that if you can keep in mind that you make God happy, that the thought of you not dying, 
but having eternal life, eternally being with Him, brings Him so much joy that He is saying that He cannot, that, that He, that it made Him endure the cross. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Let's read it again. Looking unto Jesus. So what must we look at? If you are going, you might be going through a difficult time. You are saying, God, I have seen maybe victory in my life in the area of finances. I've seen victory in the area of my life in the area of um, what others say about me. But I don't see the victory uh, in, in this or that area. I don't see that. I, I don't see victory in the area of depression. I don't see victory in certain areas of my life. And I don't know what to do. What am I believing wrong? What am I doing wrong? I don't know. I am seeing the deadness of my flesh still in my life. Abraham did not consider the deadness of his own body. Did he see it? Yes. But that was not what he considered. He considered the God that could raise the dead. And this is what he's talking about here. The thing that God started, and this is what he's saying, he's saying, look unto Jesus, the author. What is the author of our faith? What do we believe? What is the author of our faith? Or what is the first thing that he did as pertaining to our faith? He took a man, Jesus, made him to partake of death, and the fruit, he was even made sin, made him partake of that, and then raise him up without sin, meaning without the ability to die. Raise him out without sin, without death. That is the author of our faith. That's the one that started what we believe. What are we now believing? What are we persuaded of? We are persuaded that the very thing God started in Jesus, which is a resurrected, immortal human, above sin, above death, that that is our destination and that very thing is what we shall uh, attain unto through His doing. Now we, we see some of the fruit of the Spirit and sometimes we don't even see everything and as we are in this time which might be a time of doubt, a time of I don't know what to do, consider the fact that Jesus didn't start something in the earth and the, the, remember, the starting of this thing wasn't a small thing. It was a very painful thing. It was a very humiliating thing. And what he had in mind was so great that that humiliation and that pain was nothing to him because there was a joy that was greater than that that was set before him. So what's the chance that he will not finish this? He will finish this. For there's a joy in the heart of God. And that joy is you preserved, your life preserved forever. Glory to God. He had such a plan in that, he had such a joy in that, that he eternally sealed himself into a human body. His body today is not the same as our body. His body is glorified. It's co-physical, yet, but it's glorified, meaning the life that he has in his body originates from God, not from his own ability but from God Himself. Now, I don't want to get technical in that, but know this, God comes and He encourages us in the writings of the writer of the book of Hebrews, and He is saying, 
Listen, behold what God has started. Behold the pain that he went through and know this, it was for a joy that was set before him that he went through this pain. And what is the chance that he will not finish it? He's always finished it in the past. He makes his word manifest. His word will not return void to him. So what must we keep in, in mind? We must keep in mind that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, which was our eternal life, endured the cross and counted but just a little thing. He despised the shame that there was. It was nothing to him because he knew what he would get. So what would keep you from going back to the law? What would keep you from going back to the law is knowing that you make the, the thought of you eternally with God makes God so happy that he thought it a small thing to go through the cross and the shame because he knew that he would have you forever. That would keep you from going back to the law. Let's read it again. Since we are now at the place where the first thing God started, which was ending sin and ending the burden, since we are there, we are not going back to that and we are patiently going to continue to look for the manifestation of Christ. How? Because by, and how are we going to stay in this patience? Not going back to the law. By looking unto Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Other words, looking at Jesus, who looked at us, and the joy and the thought of us being with him forever, us being blessed, was blessed with his life, was so great that he said, well, this cross is a small thing for me. This, let me put it this way. The cross was, a, was tremendously painful and was difficult for him in, a, in human form, yet he endured it because he looked at the will of the Father and his will and the Father's will was united and he saw, and this is what the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. That joy is you at the right hand of God in Christ. That joy is you having eternal life. That joy, the joy that there was in Jesus was the joy of Him living with you forever in a glorified earth and a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that beautiful? That is the power of the gospel, my friend. Now I want to go to John 3 <coughs> and we're going to just look at this from another scripture. And we're going to end off with, with John chapter 3. It says here in John 3, very well-known passage, which is just going to confirm this. John 3, 16, it says here, let's read from verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now what was the reason why God gave his Son? The reason was that you would have 
eternal life, that you would not die, but live forever. And if I think of, of Helena, if I think of my, my children, um, people that are close to me, I don't want them to die. Why? Because I want them with me. I don't want them to die. For if they die, they will not be with me. I will only have a thought of them. And they will not be there. I'm thinking of my mom that passed away not too long ago. It is <coughs> the thought of her not being here where I can talk to her. And the reality of that is terrible. And with that in mind, I, I don't want my wife to die. I don't want my children to die. I want to live forever and I want them to live forever. That we can forever be with each other. Now I know in my ability, even if I lay down my life for them, I cannot do that. But God knows that it was within His ability to bring forth eternal life for us. So that we would not partake in what Adam partook in. What happened to Adam? Adam came and he partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the punishment, if you want to call it a punishment, or the result of that was, Adam, you are now going to buy the sweat of your brow, work and toil, and it's not even going to preserve you forever. You're going to work so hard, and by your own works and heavy burden and labor, you are only going back to dust. And was a terrible thing for God. Therefore God said, I'll have to incarnate that dust and bring life to it. Because I want man forever with me. The thought of you forever being with God. The thought of your presence in the presence of God is what motivated the Father to give His Son. That very same thought was called the joy that was set before Jesus. And as we today sit and we put this joy before us and we behold what God has started in Jesus and how this will be finished, how He will bring forth the full manifestation of what He has accomplished, we will find no reason to go back to the law. I want to define the finished work of Jesus. As we say the finished work of Jesus, especially to us in grace circles, we need to know when we talk about the finished work of Jesus, we cannot say everything that had to, or everything that God has dreamt has already happened. We cannot say that, because that is not true. If we talk about the finished work, what it means is that that which God had to do um, in order to bring forth salvation by faith, to end sin in the flesh and end death. In other words, in, um, it's, it's like, let's take Nelson Mandela. When he was, when apartheid fell, he would say, well, it is finished. Yet we find that what was established there takes years to manifest in South Africa. And it will still take maybe a hundred years, even if, if it's not longer. Because something had to be finished, a new kingdom had to come, 
and now that kingdom can infiltrate the, the, the nation. And that is exactly what is meant by the finished work, what I mean by the finished work, or what I, what I think when Jesus said, it is finished. When he said it is finished, he was talking about his, his life here as a man of uh, in carrying a body that had sin in the flesh, if you want to call it like that. He was not a sinner, but he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. And then when he died, he said, it is finished, and he died. Then he was raised. It doesn't mean that when he said it was finished, he was already raised. Something still had to happen. That it is finished only pertained to the cross. Then he was raised. And then when he was seated at the right hand of the Father, he could. I don't say he said that. He could have said, well, that's now finished. And I have now conquered sin and death. It is now finished. I'm sitting down. There's nothing for me to do. But what needs to take place now is his enemies, which is sin in your flesh, which is the fruit of the flesh in your life, which is even physical death in the lives of people, must still be made his footstool. And that happens through his spirit taking this truth to people. And as they believe it, he manifests it in them. Glory to God. So God is now, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus went and sat down at the right hand of God, not to work in His work has been done. He's conquered death, He's conquered everything, and His victory is now being manifest in the lives of people by the work of, the, of this Spirit of Christ that was raised from the dead as we believe upon this. Hallelujah. So I want to say this, God has come and He has a plan. And let us not be distracted from the very good news of the resurrection. I find an, uh, uh, <clears throat> that we've come to a place where we don't know where to put the resurrection of Jesus because we have not seen the resurrection of the dead as in the graves opening up, people being raised. Now we're saying, well, it's not going to take place. Things are just continuing as always. There must be another logic to this. I want to tell you, there is no other logic to this. The God that started His work, and we can see how the first work looked. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, and He's the firstborn amongst many brethren. And He's not ashamed to call us brethren, for He will, by His doing, or let me put it this way, His doing through the Spirit, shall manifest the very same things in our lives. We are the sons of God, and what we are do not yet appear, but it shall appear, and we shall see that we are in the exact likeness of His resurrection. And God is busy stopping sin to manifest in our lives. God is busy stopping the fruit of the flesh manifesting in our lives. And that is His work under the law you resist sin. Under grace, God resists sin. Amen. So let us not become weary, church. Let us not come to a place where we get tired of uh, believing in Jesus Christ. Let us not get to the place where we are saying, oh my goodness, you know, um, uh, let's get back to the law and all those kind of things. How are we going to continue to stay in grace? By knowing that Inside the heart of God, you, eternally living 
is of such a great joy to him that the Father could give his Son and that the Son could endure the cross, for their joy is you in their presence forever. They put in simple words, God could not, could not imagine a future without humans as his friends. He is so in love with humans that he became one and glorified that human so that he can have humans with him forever. Hallelujah. But I don't know about this. This, this sounds like another gospel. This thing about God becoming a human and this human Jesus. Hey church, what was the resurrection all about? Jesus came and looked and he said, Touch me, a spirit does not have flesh and bone. What we behold in the resurrected Jesus and that Jesus in glorified form appeared to Paul. And Paul likened the appearing of Jesus to the very same appearing as that which was when Jesus appeared to the disciples. For he said, he appeared to me and I was just born out of season. So he didn't say that Jesus had a dif different appearing or different form than the very form that he had when he appeared to the disciples. That Jesus is the manifested Son of God. And we are sons who believe in him. And we shall be manifested as immortal in the day of the Lord. Let us not lose heart. He is busy working uh, with us. The good thing that he has started, he will finish. He is the author and the finisher of what we are persuaded of. He started this thing that we are believing in a resurrected body. He started this thing that we are believing in conquering death and conquering sin. He started it by being raised from the dead. So he shall finish it in our lives. And all we can open ourselves up to is say, Lord, we present our bodies a living sacrifice to you. Meaning that as we are alive, we make this body available for your working in it. So we are not going to interfere with your working by going back to the law. Keeping the joy that God had in his heart when he gave his son. Keeping the joy that Jesus had in his heart, which is us with him forever in front of our eyes will keep us from falling back unto the law and will encourage us on a daily basis glory to god i want to thank you so much that you've watched this broadcast it's a blessing for me to minister this to you and i trust that it's greatly blessed you let me pray for you father i want to thank you that i can just pray for people today thank you that your love is towards humanity you love us You've sealed yourself into us and you are sealing, you, you, you've sealed a human into the Godhead, which is the truth about us. And Lord, we are seeing your joy that you've had in, in your heart before you went to the cross that caused you to endure the cross and where you just said it's the shame of the cross is a little thing because I, what makes me happy is people living forever and not dying. Me being with them and them being with me forever. Father, thank you for that. And thank you that encourages people all the time. Amen. Thank you so much for watching. And then I will see you guys again next week.
God bless you.